Good morning. I'm Pastor David. Hey, we, the pastoral team and I were in Atlanta uh, getting some training, and uh, 80 degrees. And so by the time we landed last night, you know, there was a 40 degree difference. And, um, but we are here to celebrate what God has done for us. So let me begin. I feel like sharing a love story, so let me share a love story with you. This is a movie that I watched almost 40 years ago, which meant I was in Sri Lanka. And this was a movie made in India. Somebody after the first service came and asked me, is this the movie that we are talking about? I said, I have no idea. Because I watched it in my own language, and it was made in India. Uh, but there might be an English version of it, uh, so you might perhaps pick it up. So here's the story. A leader of a gang had fallen in love with the young woman. And uh, again, their romance was developing. And uh, one day, the young man, the, the gang, the leader of the gang, decided to invite uh, his lover to a dinner at his home. And so he went through this elaborate plan uh, to cook and to set the table, candlelight and everything. And so on this day, they were having dinner together, enjoying each other's presence. Suddenly, there was a phone call. So the gangster, leader of the gang, picked it up. And having realized who was on the other side, he steps aside from the dining room into a room side, uh, uh, to another room to have a conversation. Now this young woman had always realized there was something that's secret about this young man that she had fallen in love with. And so she decided to follow him along and stood outside of the room listening in to the conversation. And then the phone call ends. That's, uh, the, when the phone call is about to end, the young woman comes back, rushed, rushed back to, her, uh, the, to the dining table, and then he came, and the dinner ended, uh, perhaps half hour, one hour after that. As she was leaving, she took a thread like this, very thin. One pull, it will break. And she tied one end of it, in his hand, and the other end on the stairs that led to the upstairs of the home. And having done that, she said to her, said to him, if you love me, if you truly love me, when I come tomorrow morning to see you, the rope or the thread will be intact. And she left. About ten minutes later, a phone call came. So he picked up the phone. And the person on the other end was one of the gang members. It turned out that they had planned to rob a bank that night. So that was the previous phone call was all about. 
And he said, I'll be there in about 15 minutes. And then puts down the phone. And then begins to think about his present situation. That he is madly in love with this woman. Then he begins to think about what the future would look like with her. Getting married and having children and celebrating anniversaries and and birthdays of the children. The children growing up and growing all together as husband and wife. And he's looking at the rope that's tied. And so do I break it or not? And the phone rings again. And again, one of the gang members asking the question, Where are you, man? We are all here. Didn't we plan to rob a bank, the biggest bank in, this, in, 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 in the city? Where are you? And he said, well, I'll be there in about five minutes. And so he hangs on the phone again and goes through the same exercise, reflecting on his present love for this woman and then what life would look like with her going forward. And this cycle repeats itself for through several phone calls. So he will, phone, phone will ring again and he will say, I will be there in a minute. And then he will go through this exercise. And finally, after three or four different phone calls like that, he stopped picking up the phone. He has made up his mind. And he chose love over being part of a gang that was going to rob the bank that night. In other words, reflecting on his present situation, that is his deep love for this young woman, and reflecting on what life would look like going forward with her, having children with her, and and, uh, uh, growing old together, and all of that, of the future hope. He chose not to break this very thin, easily breakable thread. Now, as we continue our sermon series from the book of First John, this passage that we will be looking at this morning has a very similar message. And you will see that message up on the screen and you will recognize and you will begin to make the connection. And the message of the passage today is this. In light of your present situation in Christ Jesus and the future hope which is also in Christ Jesus choose a life of purity. That's the message. Just as this young man reflected on his present love for this woman and what the future would look like and all the hopes that he had, he chose love. And the Apostle John in the scripture passage today is asking us to do a similar thing. Reflect in light of the present situation who you and I are in Christ Jesus and the future hope that's available to us because of Christ Jesus. Choose a life of purity. Now that statement that you see up on the screen 
contains three parts. Our present situation in Christ. Our future hope in Christ. And as a result of that, choose a life of purity. So that's how the sermon will unfold. So I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 John. And we will look at this morning, chapter 2, beginning in verse 28, through chapter 3, verse 10. So 1 John, beginning in chapter 2, verse 28, and all the way to chapter 3, verse 10. And if you are using the church Bible, which we call the blue Bible, here at church, you will find that on page 1302. First John chapter 2, beginning in verse 28, found on page 1302. So the first part of the statement, our present situation, our current situation in Christ. Please look with me to verse 1 in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1. The Apostle John writes, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. Now, one of the words that's there, it begins with C. That's the word that sometimes translated as look, behold, pay attention. We have said that time and time again here in our church. That's what John is saying. Hey, don't miss this. Look at it. Pause for a moment. Behold, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. John does not want us to miss this idea of God's love for his people. Now, if you drop down to verse 5, we read this. You know that he appeared to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. Then we drop down further to verse 8, in the middle of it there, verse the second part of verse 8, we read this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now from these verses, we learn six things about our present situation in Christ. And again, you will see them up on the screen. Six things about the present situation, our present situation in Christ Jesus. First, God is our Father. Then, second, we are His children. The Father has lavished, one of the translations says, Father has lavished, that is giving something in excess, without any limit whatsoever, generously. Lavished his love on us. God has destroyed the work of the devil through his son Jesus. Jesus took away our sins and God's seed. By the way, I wouldn't go into too much explanation. The seed means it's the word of God and the spirit of God. 
God's seed abides in us. In other words, all of these six combine to give us this particular message, which is mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, that is once we as human beings were under the power of Satan, dead in our transgressions and sins, alienated from God, and unable to do anything about that situation. In other words, we were stuck. Then God, in his great mercy and love, sent his son Jesus to destroy the work of Satan and to take away our sins. As a result, all those who believed in Jesus became God's children and God became their father. Moreover, God raised up all those who believed in his son Jesus and seated them in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 2. That's what God has done for us. That's our present situation. So if you are a born again believer, for example, trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of of the sins, that's who you are. But if you're not a born again believer, then that opportunity is available to you, even now. Now, let me illustrate this for you from a story that David Platt, who's well known for writing the uh, uh, New York Times bestseller, Radical, and he has written several other books, and this is a book by the title, Follow Me. David Platt and his wife had adopted a son whom they named Caleb from Kazakhstan. That is one of the former Soviet Union countries. And you may remember when the, when the uh, Iron Curtain came down, you, we saw on television what was happening in those orphanages those days. Nobody cared for these children. And Caleb was one of those children. Now, so every time David and Heather Platt walk into the church with their son Caleb, obviously Caleb looked different. A little bit of a darker skin. Black hair, not necessarily blue eyes. And so people could clearly see him as an ethnically different child. So David, so that's the background of this. So, this is, so David writes this. People say the strangest things when they see us with the child who is clearly of another ethnicity. He's so cute, people remark. Do you also have children of your own? They ask. Every time we were asked this, we have an irresistible urge to say, come real close, because we have a secret to share. He is ours. People will also look at Caleb, realize he's adopted, and then ask, have you met his real mother? My response to that is quick and clear. Well, yes, I'm actually married to her. Her name is Heather. They will respond, well, you know what I mean, to which I respond, yes, and you know what I mean. 
my precious wife is not his fake mother. She is bona fide real. Others assume that Caleb doesn't know much about his family or cultural background. So they will ask Heather and me if we are going to be intentional in teaching him about his family or cultural heritage. We tell them, absolutely. In fact, we have already begun. It may actually surprise you that Caleb knows a lot about his family background. He knows all about his granddad, who unfortunately he never, uh, uh, unfortunately he never had the opportunity to meet because my dad, that's David Platt's dad, died before Caleb was adopted. But Caleb had plenty of pictures, and he's heard plenty of stories. And one of his favorite videos to watch has been the grandpa video. In addition, he knows all about his other granddad, his two grandmas, his cousins, his uncles, aunts, and great-aunts and great-uncles. He has more family heritage than he knows what to do with. Caleb has also learned about his cultural heritage. He's read books like Good Night Moon. Mrs. Brown can move, can you? He runs around the house saying, run, run, fast as you can. You can't catch me. I am the... If you can finish that statement, it's just maybe that you have the same cultural heritage. Caleb is eating his culture's food, barbecue, mac and cheese, watermelon, and birthday cake. He even knows the music of his culture. He may not be able to recognize the Kazakh national anthem, but he loves... Sweet home Alabama. <laughs> you see, Caleb is our son. He is not an alien or a stranger in our family. He is not somewhat plat, partly plat or kind of plat. He is fully plat. With all that being a plat involves, for better or worse. These kinds of questions and comments from well-meaning people are not just potential annoyances to parents who have adopted. They are symptoms of something much deeper, for they reflect how little we understand about what it means to be adopted into God's family. That's what you and I are. I have a darker skin, I have a black hair. And some of you have gray hairs, and me too. <laughs> and, you know, blonde hair and blue eyes. I have brown eyes. Some of us are tall, some of us are short, some of us are old, some of us are young. It doesn't matter. That's our present situation. In fact, you know, Randy Pope, the senior pastor of the Perimeter Church in Atlanta, says this. We won't understand God's love until we understand the depth of our sin. Until we understand where we were before we were born again and how much God has done to raise us up and to see that in the heavenly realms, then only we will understand what it means by the statement that God has lavished, given in excess without any limits. His love on us through His Son, Jesus Christ. So that's our current situation. 
Again, I want to offer any of you who are not a believer, that's available to you. There will be pastors and elders and Stephen ministers at the end of the worship service. And if you would like to talk more and to pursue what's available through Christ Jesus, please come after the worship service to do so. Now let's turn to the future hope. That's in Christ Jesus. Please look with me to verse 2 again. Chapter 3, verse 2. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him and we shall see him as he is. Now from this verse, we learn three things about the future hope in Christ Jesus. Jesus, who is pure and sinless, who destroyed the work of the devil and took away our sins, is coming back to establish his kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth. And you can read all about it in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, last two chapters of the book of Revelation. When that happens, the Apostle Paul, John says, we shall see him and we shall be like him. In other words, the best is yet to come. Now the question is though, does it excite you? In this book titled Heaven, Randy Alcorn writes this. These are, I'm going to share some stories with these are true stories, okay? There's so much about heaven that the Bible teaches. But many have settled on an image of an unending church service involving sing-along in the sky, one great hymn after another, forever and ever, Amen. As a result, many people find no joy at all when they think about heaven. How about you? What's your view of heaven? How much do you know about heaven? Do you find joy when you think about heaven? In fact, Randy Elkhorn goes on to tell a story of a pastor who once confessed to him, and I quote, Whenever I think about heaven, it makes me depressed. I would rather just cease to exist when I die. When asked why, this pastor said, I cannot stand the thought of that endless tedium. To float around in the clouds with nothing to do but strum a hop. It's also terribly boring. I would rather be annihilated than spend eternity in a place like that. Where did this Bible-believing, seminary-educated pastor get such a view of heaven as Randy Alcorn? Certainly not from Scripture, 
where the Apostle Paul said to depart and be with Christ was far better than staying on a sin-cursed earth. Another woman wrote to Randy Alcorn saying, true story, I have been a Christian since I was five. I am married to a youth pastor. When I was seven, a teacher at my Christian school told me that when I got to heaven, I wouldn't know anyone or anything from earth. I was terrified of dying as a result. I was never told anything different by anyone. It's been really hard for me to advance my Christian walk because of this fear of heaven and eternal life. So let me ask the question, how much do you know about heaven? How much time do you spend thinking about heaven? Do you know enough to get excited about getting there? Do you know enough to advance in your spiritual walk? In fact, this is the book, by the way. You saw an image of that. It has 500 pages worth of material about heaven. They're all scripture-based. Some of those thoughts will excite you. Other thoughts will cause you to think. There are thoughts that will encourage you. There are thoughts that would make you cry. And if you have not thought about heaven much, I would encourage you to read this particular book. As a teaser, I have chosen to focus the entire life group question this week on the subject of heaven. So here are some some questions. Is heaven a spiritual state or an actual place? How do you answer that question? What kind of bodies will we have? Spiritual? Physical? Maybe something else? By the way, there's a difference between the present heaven, which is where people go when they die, to the new heaven and new earth. Those are two different. What are the differences? What are the similarities? Would there be time and space in heaven? Do you know the answer to that? Would the inhabitants of heaven remember what happened to them when they lived on this earth? Think about that. Would they be aware of what is presently happening to us on this earth? In other words, you and I have had loved ones you know, who may have passed away and they are in heaven right now. Do they know what's happening to us on this earth right now? Do you know the answer to that question? Would there be trees and fruits? Eating and drinking, community and fellowship, mountains and rivers and other natural wonders in heaven. I don't know if there is beer or not, but eating and drinking. What do you think? Those are the types of... I have given you only a few of the things that I have put there. How much we think about heaven Are we excited about getting there? Does it advance our spiritual walk today as we live on this earth? Therefore, get to know this heaven, which is our eternal home. Similarly, reflect on who we are in Christ. 
Once you know those two things, the Apostle John's third command is choose to live a life of purity. That's my third point. Choose a life of purity. And I found, find that in chapter 3, verses 3 through 10. So let me quickly read those for you and give you an exposition there. Verse 3, chapter 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away the sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him nor heard known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Referring to Jesus. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this is it evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I don't know if you pick it up. These are very harsh words from the Apostle John. For example, he says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Ouch. You know, one commentary I read said this. We must not water down statements like this. The Christian has no business with sin and must never be complacent about it, even about occasional sin. Now, that being said, though, we must interpret Scripture in light of other Scripture, as well as, if you are able... Pay careful attention to the original Greek language of the New Testament. See, for example, in this particular case, in the original uh, Greek language of the New Testament, the present tense refers to continuous, ongoing, habitual, deliberate, and determined sin. So in other words, someone wakes up thinking about, I'm going to sin today. I'm going to do this. That's my habit. That's the kind of sin. That's why it's translated as keep on sinning. And then interpreting one scripture in light of the other is this. John had previously said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's the confirmation that we do sin. Our flesh is still weak. But then he goes on to say, but if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. So putting both of those together, the Greek language interpretation, as well as this previous statement by John himself, we come to the conclusion, John is not making a case for sinless perfection. He's making a case for a life of confession whenever we sin. But that whenever we sin cannot be deliberate, determined, habitual, ongoing. That's what he means. And therefore his call is in light of who you are in Christ, in light of the future hope in what's available in Christ, choose a life of purity. 
And God has left his seed, that is the word of God and the spirit of God, to, to empower and to guide and to convict, take advantage of that, and then choose a life of purity. Then, when Jesus appears, we will have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his second coming. In fact, James Dobson, who was the founder of um, Focus on the Family, at a relatively young age had a massive heart attack. I think he was either late 40s or early 50s. And so while he was recovering at the hospital, his son Ryan came to see him. And so realizing for the first time Boy, life is temporary. And, his, and because of the love for his son, he, his first words to his son was, Son, be there. Referring to heaven. I want to see you there. And therefore, you know, his encouragement is essentially similar. Hey, in light of what Christ has accomplished for you on the cross, in light of what the future hope that's available in Christ Jesus, in light of the fact that God has God's word and the spirit abide in you, choose to live a life of purity so that I could see you in heaven. So as I close, let me give you a pictorial view of all that I have said to you so far. It should come up on the screen. Here it is. Our present situation in Christ. If we are walking with Christ, you are on this path somehow. Some of us are older, closer to death, whatever. Some of us are brand new Christians and young and in all of those. What Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And there's a future hope. If you die before Christ comes, we will be in the present heaven. But if Christ comes before our death, New heaven and new earth. And therefore, as you walk along this pathway, because the word of God and the spirit of God abide in us to help us in this process, choose to live a life of purity. This gangster who was tied with the very thin thread chose not to break it. He chose love over robbing a bank that night. And let us, in light of what Christ has done, what the hope that is available in the future, and because the word of God and the spirit of God abide in us, choose to live a life of purity. That's our call from the Apostle John this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, and we not, you not only accomplished work on, through your Son, Jesus Christ, and also gave us a picture of what the future would look like, but you have given us your Word and the Spirit to help and to guide in the interim such that we could walk on this path of purity. Help us. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.